0: Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me to talk about some terms that maybe seem straightforward but that might need a little deeper analysis is Mr. Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Hello, Taylor. How are you? I am doing well, man. I always enjoy our Soccer 101 conversations. Uh, we, we tend to try to look at a term or concept or player or idea, whatever it may be, each week that... Uh, either seems straightforward and then needs a little bit of explanation or is not straightforward and requires more explanation. Uh, this episode is inspired by me explaining uh, what Brighton were doing and how they were tearing apart Manchester United to my wife. And I kept saying, uh, he's looking to find space. And she was like, I don't understand most of that sentence. And so it, it was a good reminder that he's an astronaut. Some... Exactly, that's, exactly, that's what he exactly. Exactly. That's that. maybe sometimes terms that I think are pretty common um, can be just. Not so common. Uh, another good example of that. I, I coach an adult team, a men's team, and uh, and I always am like, okay, you got to show them left or show them right. And there's a always a moment of like, how? Why are we showing them anything? I don't understand. When you're defending and you're trying to push a player one way or the other, so little terms like that, which are ubiquitous in soccer and and soccer conversations, uh, maybe sometimes worth uh, discussing out in a little more detail. One to start us off, Graham, is one that so sort of throws me pretty regularly is ball recovery. What is a recovery exactly? Because I always think of it as like, oh, he slid in and won the ball and then came up with it at his feet and dribbled away. And it's not not that, but it's Mm. not quite that either. Yeah, and it's not a painful
1: medical procedure either, thankfully. Ball recovery, <laughs> but uh, this this is a term.
0: This is a term oh, that, that, as you say, have made we me laugh that hard, but it did because I'm a child.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was counting on, on on you being a child to get a laugh out of that. Um, yeah, a term that we use quite often and use quite often a lot. Uh, is used a lot in the modern game. Um, the best way to define it. So I went to Opta's uh, website because I uh, run a, a fancy soccer company, and so I know that not only is this a term that we use this is actually the the definition of a data point something that is collected by opta or Sportradar or any of these of these data uh, companies so their definition uh, opta defines it as about a, a recovery they define it as where a player recovers the ball in a situation where neither team has possession or where the ball has been played directly to him by an opponent thus securing possession for their team so for example Kyle Walker, I would say, is an excellent ball recoverer because he has that pace to get back and to recover those moments and City use him as a safety net. They like to play a high line and so having him with his pace to to, to recover the the balls, the balls ball in those, in those situations is really useful. It could be a defender in a high line like Kyle Walker that's doing that. It could be a number six or it could even be an attacker getting back to, to help out defensively and it is a, an increasingly important part of the modern game which obviously, as we know now, places a real focus on what happens out of
0: possession. So it is an action that relates to that. So, Graham, like if my team is playing your team, my team has the ball, and my defender like lumps it long for me, the striker, you and I challenge for it, it's up in the air, neither one of us wins it cleanly, and then a defender on your team runs through and picks it up while the two of us are on the ground. Would that be when the ball is recovered? Is that a recovery? Uh, yes,
1: I believe so. I mean, there might be some weird um, quirk there mm-hmm. in that if it comes off, you and you're one of my teammates, maybe that isn't counted as a recovery. But if it were to come off the, uh, an opposition player and then, yes, the teammate um, recovers
0: that, that ball, that would that would count, yes. All right, so we've got ball recovery explained. Uh, a duel would be another one that can be somewhat tricky. Obviously, this is when two players stand back to back. They walk 10 feet, they turn and then they <laughs> kick the ball at each other and whichever one hits in a more dangerous position is the one who wins. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. it or it involves
1: swords in in some way, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, yeah. I went I went back to the Opta website for this one because again, this is this mm-hmm. is a, a another thing that is collected by data collectors. So they, they define it Opta as, quote, a 50-50 contest between two players of opposing sides in the match. For every duel won, there is a corresponding duel loss, depending on the outcome of the contest. So that is is fairly uh, self-explanatory. It's essentially a way to determine how players are faring in individual battles against other players. I'm sure anyone who has played the game, even at a very, very... Low level, like I did. I only played until I was about fourteen, fifteen years old. You'll have heard your coach saying, "When your individual battles, mm-hmm. when 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 the battle against your your opposite number, and
0: this is essentially a way to measure those battles." And then, to your understanding, Graham, so we have the duels figure. Is aerial duels like they're their own thing? But then, are they part of duels as well? When you look at the total number, or are they distinct things ah. from a statistical breakdown? So that really depends on who is collecting the data, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So
1: my, my company uses, uh, Opta. We use Stats Perform, which is the same company. And so they separate out aerial jewels and jewels. So they would consider jewels to be anything that happens on the ground. And then obviously aerial jewels is as the title suggests something mm-hmm. that happens in the air but then you get other companies that maybe wouldn't make that that differentiation and so they would just count all jewels and um, it would be rare if for a company not to collect jewels but to collect aerial jewels right. it tends to be the, the 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 companies that have more people to collect this data i believe opt to have like five or six people collecting this data live during games and so maybe if you're a company that can't afford to staff games with five or six people you collect jewels but you don't collect zero jewels this this is what this is why you end up with um different stats and different numbers out there mm-hmm. where someone will look at fault mob and they'll get a different number to who scored and they'll get a different number to stats bomb they, they,
0: these these companies have different ways of collecting uh and then another one in this realm for me like i think one time you and joe were talking about like who's going to win more duels and i was like well this this person won more take-ons and you all you all were very like no that doesn't matter that's not part of the conversation we're having so why doesn't take-ons factor into this one because uh if you're looking at a duel it's that 50 50 challenge who's going to win it Uh, a take-on is a player taking on a defender dribbling at them trying to get by them uh but there is a a difference there that i think is worth uh differentiating as well
1: Yeah, so a take on. I've just gone back to the the OPTA event Mm -hmm. definitions page. So you you, you can find that, uh, listeners can find this for themselves. It's at statsperform.com and then just look for the event definitions. So, um, quite interestingly, OPTA, they, they class dribbles and take ons as essentially the same thing. They're classed together. So, their definition is this is an attempt by a player to beat an opponent when they have possession of the ball. A successful dribble means the player beats the defender while retaining possession. Unsuccessful ones are where the dribbler is tackled to often collects attempted dribbles where the player overruns the ball with a heavy touch when trying to beat an opposition player so um a take on is 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 essentially a a, a dribble whereas a, a a duel is more of a 50-50 mm. contest and, and I know that is a difficult like there's a lot of overlap there but that's just the way that I I experience this when we award certain points I keep going back to my experience with the with with the fantasy company but anyway that that's how I've learned a lot of this stuff, we'll get people who complain, why have I not got an extra point? Because this was this company's saying that it was five jewels and you're saying it's four, but then Opta will register that as a take-on.
0: So there's a lot of overlap there. All right, so we've, we've gone the statistical route to start. Let's go with some more uh, easily explained terms that don't involve stats and numbers, Graham. Let's start with hospital pass. This is one that... I feel like you don't hear as much when it comes to commentary, but I definitely Mm. still hear in games and I'm sure coaches still say, uh, what is a hospital pass, Mr. Ruffin?
1: Yeah, so this is a term that surely comes from pickup soccer and five-a-side yeah. soccer more than, as you say, commentary. I don't think it's collected by Opta, although I argue it should be expected hospital passes per 90. I want to see that on some sort of <laughs> chart or, or graph. But a, a hospital pass is essentially a term to describe a pass played to a teammate that immediately puts that teammate in danger, of, well, in, in danger generally, but of being halved by an opponent or suffering a bad tackle or an injury or something like that. So, yeah. Think of a pass that is just a little bit short and then tempts the opponent into a tackle. You know that player is about to get a a, a pair of sore shins and therefore, hence the name, will
0: require hospital treatment. That's where it comes from. And so you'll you'll hear it as hospital pass. You'll hear the coach scream, that's a hospital ball. But that usually means pass it faster because you're going to get your teammate injured. Uh, if they do get injured, we're going to jump to a different one. Uh, maybe it's due to a reducer challenge, yeah. Graham, which is uh, something that we still have somewhat often in, in the world of football. Maybe VAR has made it slightly less often. But mm. uh, to my mind, that is, we'll use a different one, an, uh, an agricultural challenge. It's a very physical challenge that is yeah. maybe maybe okay with getting the ball, but also definitely designed intentionally or maybe a little unintentionally to injure the player to really let them know you're there, basically.
1: Yeah, so to my surprise, this one's actually in the dictionary, reducer, is in the Cambridge Dictionary. You can find it on their website. Wow. A reducer, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is, quote, a hard tackle that a defender makes at the beginning of a game with the intention of making an attacking player feel worried for the rest of the Mm -hmm. game which I think is pretty much it. It's, it's a preemptive strike, isn't it? The message being, don't try that with me again or you'll get another one of these. And as you say, Taylor, it, it feels a little less common in the mm-hmm. modern game because of VAR and, and just generally players are more likely to be punished for a bad tackle. Um, but to be honest, I think there is still an element of anything goes in the first few uh-huh. minutes of a game. You're less likely to get a booking or, or a red card. That's kind of anecdotal, but I w- I'm willing to bet that the numbers and the, and the stats would back that up. I, I, I bet there are fewer yellow cards and, and red cards in the first 10
0: minutes of games. So if you're sneaky enough, if you're a bit of a Sergio Ramos, you can still get away with it. It's also one, though, for me, or at least maybe in my usage, that I don't think I use it correctly then. Because I think of a reducer as a challenge that can occur kind of anywhere at any time when it's a very physical challenge that maybe is either hurting the player or letting the player know that's the type of challenge you could expect. Do you feel like it is more of a, like in the first 10 or 15 minutes, is yeah. that how you use it?
1: That was, that was, that was my impression. So actually okay. reduce the reducer term is not, it's not something I said when I was, I was kind of growing up. I feel mm-hmm. like it's, it's more of an English thing than, than, a, yep. than a Scottish thing, but it's something I've been aware of in the last sort of 10 years or whatever. And um, yeah, that's, that was my impression is that something that happens quite early Um because you'll get away with it at that point and because a
0: defender wants to kind of put something up the back of the opposition player and and to my understanding there's a couple different possible explanations for it one would be if it's done at the opening minutes it reduces the player's enthusiasm for the game basically if you know you're going to get hit often it takes you out of that sort of game mindset and makes you worry about other things so it reduces your effectiveness as a player um It can mean that a player gets injured and you are literally reducing the team by not having that player involved. Or it can also be going back to the days when you didn't have substitutions. If you... Tackle a player hard enough and they can't continue. Now you're playing a player down. So you've literally reduced their numbers. So any one of those I think can be partially or wholly uh, responsible with that term. But either way, it's one to avoid. You maybe can get them if you put the ball into the corridor of uncertainty. That is one that we definitely still hear uh, pretty often. Uh, it's a maybe a cousin of putting it in the mixer. I think a, mm. putting it in the mixer via the corridor of uncertainty maybe is <laughs> is uh, is not one you're going to hear. But I think if you're going to choose one of those, you would probably prefer the ball be in the corridor of uncertainty than in the mixer. Yeah, I mean, the that sounds team. that
1: sounds like something you would find on a map in Harry Potter. Like yes, to get into yes, the mixer, yes, you have to does. go through the the corridor of uncertainty it's via Diagon Alley um i was i was shocked to find this one also in the dictionary the cambridge dictionary so the corridor of uncertainty according to the cambridge dictionary is the area directly in front of the goal but behind the defenders if a ball from a a, cross or corner comes into this area it can cause problems for the goalkeeper and defenders because they are often uncertain about who should deal with it Uh, apparently this is something that has its roots in cricket um which is not A sport that I... uh, It's a trash sport, so I don't know much (laughs) about that. Um, But apparently there's an area where the the bowler can hit the ball where the batsman doesn't know whether to go forwards or backwards with their shot or swing I don't know what you do in cricket <laughs> uh, but it's the same sort of idea in football uh, there's an area where goalkeepers and defenders don't know who has to take responsibility and, th- and that presents an opportunity for a, for attackers to uh, pounce and just one final cricket point apparently it was a phrase that was popularized by a former player and cricket commentator called Jeffrey Boycott I actually have na- heard of Jeffrey Boycott so that was a turn up for the books uh, when he was commentating on England's 1990 Tour of the West Indies. I I remember that one well, Taylor, England's Tour of the West Indies in 1990. Uh, But yeah, it been used in the 1980s as well. So I don't think he came up with it, but he kind of popularized it in cricket and then football adopted it. I have not heard of Jeffrey Boycott because
0: I'm protesting cricket. (laughs) Haha, get it? Uh, (laughs) So it's all of Scotland for the last 50 years. (laughs) Uh, Graham, what do you call a long uh, walkway with doors on either side as you go? Is this a joke or? Do no, you want- it's an actual question. Like, in your home, if you go up the stairs and then you've right. got a long walkway with, like, rooms on either side. Okay, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. The corridor. What, you call it a corridor. So that is, I forget that that is part of this, that in America, that's a hallway. So this is the hallway of right. uncertainty if you're talking about an MLS team and then a corridor of uncertainty. But, like, corridor sounds so official and fancy to a, a a non-british person that i forget that you're basically just saying hallway of uncertainty and you're putting it into that area. So it, when you described it there i was like oh right that that's that's why it's called that. It's not some fancy term it's just that's what y'all call a hallway. So that makes me happy. i enjoy that immensely. Um, final one uh, on the list for this this chat Graham, would be mickey mouse cup which is not when mls <laughs> plays at disney yeah, that's uh, what this I is something as well. different. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was essentially the, the corporate name of the MLS's back tournament, yeah, exactly. given that it was played at Disney World. Yeah, that's where my mind went to.
0: <laughs> but, but we use this for basically a, a competition that we're not taking particularly seriously. So it's a cartoon cup. It's, it's, uh, it's fantasy. Yeah. It's not that big of a deal.
1: Yeah, it's a term used to deride or belittle a competition or, or, mm-hmm. or an achievement in a competition um, which is perceived as having less, or less meaning or, or less prestige. So when Tottenham famously won the 2009 Asia Trophy, Premier League Asian Trophy, some people, Taylor not me, of course, might have called that a Mickey Mouse Cup. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget that triumph of, of Spurs in 2009. <laughs> but yeah, some some fans might mock that and call it a, a, a Mickey Mouse Cup. So, in, in British slang, um, so it's not something, I had to research this, I, I didn't know why you why we say Mickey Mouse Cup, but apparently in British slang, correct me if this is an American thing as well, but in British slang, to call something Mickey Mouse is, is essentially to call it inconsequential, and it seems to have been used in football to, um, the first example I found was in the 90s with Liverpool Winning the League Cup so often, it was it was a thing that was used about that achievement. But there's a theory that decades ago, this is the bit I didn't know at all. Decades ago, Mickey Mouse branded watches became really, really popular, and so you got all kinds of fakes and counterfeits that apparently would break very, very easily, or or they would be poorly made. So you've seen these watches that Mm -hmm. like his hands are the hands of the clock, and his feet are the and yeah, and and it ticks. I think there's like an Apple Watch version of it which is like an imitation but apparently i'm not sure how much i believe this but i found this online apparently that's where it comes from as as to say uh mickey mouse when talking about something that's poor
0: quality but i bet i bet there are other theories as well uh once in a desperate attempt to change my apple watch face i think i was stuck on the mickey mouse setting for a little while so you can definitely <laughs> still do that i'm trying to do it now and failing but yeah i it, which is funny because i always assumed it was a like a Derisory term for like ah, it's like a little kids thing. It's not to be taken seriously. It's really interesting to learn that it's actually more about like, eh, it's just it's more of like a a counterfeit thing. It's less of a sincere or less of a meaningful yeah. thing. So that's interesting and also probably hurtful to Mickey Mouse. And and this is something
1: I'm I'm a, you, you know this about me Taylor I'm a little bit of a, a Disney nerd. There's a really good documentary about uh, the iconography and the symbolism of Mickey Mouse, and I remember in that documentary there there is a section of Disney history where Mickey becomes really cheap as a symbol because there's so many counterfeit things, and and so actually thinking back
0: to that documentary, that it kind of feeds into this idea. I, I can maybe buy it. That's fascinating. I love doing Soccer 101 with you, Graham. Uh, I, I look forward to doing more of these types of episodes where it's just little terms that we can sort of get to. So if if people are listening and they have uh, terms like this that get used pretty commonly, uh, we, we can definitely add them to the list. And maybe, Graham, it might be time to revisit the numbers conversation again. We did one of those very, very early in the history of Soccer 101, so you can still find that. It's probably in one of the first 10 episodes, but I'm sure there's... Different ways to look at that again are just kind of brushing up on that one to put it higher up in the feed uh, because I still get the like, are you sure everyone knows what a number nine is? Are you sure everyone knows what a number six is? And why do some people say like, oh, he's a good number eight? So yeah. may- maybe that one is worth uh, revisiting as well. But if people have other ideas for one-on-one episodes or just things that they're not feeling like they know for sure they're using correctly or – when it's used, why it's used, how it's used, uh, we welcome those nominations. Uh, for now, Graham Ruffin, thank you for spending some time talking about terminology with me today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Just remember, avoid those reducers. Always, always. Do you feel uncomfortable playing on a team with somebody who will like go for a reducer? Because I feel like in amateur soccer, that's a bit like, what, you, what are you doing this for? What is the purpose of this? <laughs> I feel more uncomfortable if that player's playing against me. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a fair point. Uh, Knowledge and wisdom as always, Graham Ruffin. Uh, Listeners, thank you so much for listening and supporting Soccer 101. We greatly appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week.